Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's so good to have you joining us today where we are discussing our thoughts. That's our topic today is about thinking, thoughts, things that make you go, hmm. Hmm. Yes, thank you Arsenio Hall. And so to get things started off with... I thought it was CNC Music Factory. Oh, it was both. Ah. Oh, that's right. CNC Music Factory and Arsenio Hall. Nice. My goodness. What a 1980s, early 90s childhood your mother and I have had. When it comes to thinking, when it comes to thoughts, when it comes to the process of having one and not being so ridiculously, like, specific, what is it like to have a thought? Like, what is contained inside of your thoughts? Why do you think the way you do? A light bulb. A, a light bulb? Goes off. Ding! A thought. <laughs> okay. What influences our thoughts? When there's a challenge. Sometimes if mm. you hear something challenging, mm. and it's like, hmm. Or you hear something that's just not quite right, and you're like, I thought it was this, not that. And so you go and do a little bit of research, and then it's like, I thought I was right. Okay. What about for you, Mallory? What is a thought, or what influences your thought? Or why do you have thoughts about things? Because my brain... It's a natural bodily function. Everyone knows that like when uh, your brain is the thing that controls everything. And so it also controls your thoughts. So whenever you're thinking of something, it's the brain that's helping you think of what you should do. And every single move you make is a thought of what you're going to do. Okay. Some thoughts are cool. While you asked this question, I was thinking on how to answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then therefore, a thought is basically a speech, sentence, or conversation that is not spoken aloud. It is within yourself. It is a full-on conversation within your own head and whatever. Like, the whole time I was thinking of this answer, I was wondering, what should I say here? Or how should I rephrase what I'm about to say? And in doing that, that is a conversation on how to answer a thought <laughs> with my thoughts. And so thought is, your thoughts can be, and most of the time are, a conversation within yourself as opposed to with other people instead of speaking aloud. And everybody does have thoughts, even the, the mute and the deaf. And not they may not be able to vocalize it, some people with disabilities, but they still have thoughts just like we do. Absolutely. Yeah, so we have thoughts, and I like those descriptions. All three of you gave some amazing descriptions of how we come through a thought process. And I was even thinking a little bit more elaborately myself of uh, the fact that sometimes our emotions uh, dictate our thoughts. Whether we got a lot of sleep or not a lot of sleep can dictate our thoughts. Whether we had a, a good start to the morning or a bad start to the morning can influence our thoughts throughout the day. Not just our emotions, but those 
can influence the way we think and the way we react to uh, people and to things. I was standing at the window the other day while I was on a phone call, since we are still working from home, and I was talking to a gentleman uh, about a business deal that we were trying to uh, to lock in a specific date for another meeting. And as I was having that conversation, I looked out the window and I looked down in our complex, and there were six guys getting ready to paint a piece of the concrete outside that needs to be sealed with this type of paint. Uh, so they had the paint sprayer and they were all standing around the one guy who has the spray wand in his hand. And one guy dips his hand in the paint bucket. And he, so he has a big glob of paint on his hand and he walks up to another guy and he puts it on his face <laughs> and everybody busts out laughing. Now the process of that to happen was I'm a, I, I, I'm just going from my standpoint of observation is, is the guy was like either one of two things, either he didn't like the other guy, but that wasn't the reaction of the guy whenever the paint got slapped on his face. The reaction of the guy and everybody around was to laugh. So we can observe something and we can see, okay, these guys are playing around having fun and there's no harm, no foul kind of thing happening here. And so therefore the thought process of the guy was, Watch this. I'm really going to get my buddy really good. Sticks his hand in the paint bucket and gets it all over his buddy's face. And they laugh about it. And then they went on and did their job. It wasn't like this was a showstopper kind of a thing. And so thoughts can influence us several different ways, especially when we know the reason the person is doing the specific action that they're doing. So, for instance, in that situation, it was a friendly or a brotherlyhood jesting and having fun, and everybody took it that way, and that was okay. In the same regard, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to reading the Bible, the understanding that I have that has been bestowed upon me through learning, through teaching, through Bible classes, through different pastors in my life, as well as the influence that we constantly have as a family in discussion is, is God's word, the Holy Bible, the 66 books that we read in the, in the main book called the Holy Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, this is God's word for us. And therefore, when God is speaking to me, I believe wholeheartedly that when he speaks to me in my prayers, it will be backed up with his word. And it will be backed up in the Bible. And that his, what my thoughts are, must be in a line or in sync with God's word if I'm to call myself a Christian. And so as a result, I'm not saying that I check my brain at the door when I come into Christianity and I no longer have a physical thought of my own, but everything that I have now, think as I think, I'm now robotic. And so all of my thoughts are exactly what God downloads into my brain and that's what spews out of my mouth and those are the actions that go out of my hands and out of my legs and, and off of my facial expressions because do I act like a godly robot? You can say no out loud. No, I definitely don't. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does God make mistakes? No. no. Does he lie? No. Does he do anything evil? No. no. But yet I can do all of those things. So I am not a direct download of everything that God says. However, when I read his word, his word is very important to me in the realm of it helps shape my beliefs and therefore shapes my thoughts. And this is something that I think is important for us to talk about today. 
Becoming a follower of Jesus gives you and I the opportunity to actually use our brains and not follow what everyone else is saying or dictating for us to believe. What are some influences out there that can change our belief system away from what we're reading in the Bible and influence us to behave or even talk differently than what the way God wants us to talk? False teaching of the Bible is definitely one of the main things. Sure. And then desire to be in the world and desire to be like knowledgeable of the world as well can influence our thought process away from God. As in like wanting to know the latest gossip magazine stuff or what's in the news and worrying all about all this problems that are happening whenever the Bible clearly says we don't need to focus on these things. And that can definitely influence our processes out of what God wants us to really be on, thinking on. Very good. Self-isolating our own selves, thinking that we know better than other people, therefore we don't need people in our lives. Mm. So that affects our thought process, thinking I'm better and my ways are better than allowing someone else to challenge me in my faith and my stance in life. Scripture encourages us to ask for wisdom and not to ask the world for wisdom. So I don't have to sit down and watch Oprah's great latest interview on Apple TV in order to all of a sudden be filled with more wisdom. Instead, all I have to do is ask of God. James chapter one, verse five says, and Mallory has that for us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Very good, Mallory. When we're faced with a decision and we need wisdom in that decision, who do we go to? God. We go to God. Sometimes we can go to godly ambassadors and we can ask for wisdom from them too, right? And and it's our understanding that when we're asking somebody that is a godly ambassador, that they are truly in tune with God. And so therefore, as we're discussing our options of a decision that we have to make, especially those all important ones, we're anticipating the fact that they have also spent time in prayer on our behalf so that that way they are also hearing from God so that that way we are gaining even more wisdom than we can on our own. Blair talked about just a little bit ago about how we can sometimes isolate ourselves. And so therefore our thought process gets skewed as a result of that isolation and being surrounded by a great quorum of believers that think like we do, but don't think like we do, but yet worship God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength that are willing to tell us that's a bad idea. This is a good idea. That's not the way you want to do things. This is the way you want to do things. When we surround ourselves with somebody who, as Blair also mentioned, challenges us in the way we're thinking, we do gain wisdom. And so sometimes asking of God is asking of our brothers or sisters whom we have much respect for in order to gain some wisdom in order to go about our lives. Yet, most importantly, it's important for us not to do that first and neglect God in the long run, we must go to God on our knees, if you will, in prayer, no matter where our location is, and ask him for his wisdom. Anybody lacks wisdom, ask God, and he will liberally give it to us.
That's what Mallory just read to us from James chapter 1, verse 5. Our mindset, our worldview, our attitude, our beliefs, and our values are very, very, very important, no matter which part of the globe we come from. These all affect our actions, and so to achieve moral excellence and a high standard of conduct, the Holy Spirit then gifts us with a way of looking at life through God's perspective. And so before we became followers of Christ, if you can remember that far back, or if it's a new thing for you, you saw things that the world taught in a different way than you are starting to see them as a Christian. And as a Christian, you may be starting to lean towards a side of life that Oliver Wendell Holmes described as being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You see, the Apostle Paul encourages us that as a follower of Christ, we are supposed to spend the majority of our time with the Holy Spirit. Jesus encouraged us that he would no longer be with us, but he would send a helper to us in John chapter 14. And if we're not abiding with him and spending time with him, then our influences can become very skewed away from what God is anticipating for us. Xavier has James chapter 4 verse 8 for us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The beauty of God's point of view is that it's pure, holy, honest. It's filled with joy, and it's exciting. As we draw near to God, he will definitely draw near to us, and that doesn't make us an utter bore. And it definitely doesn't make us close, so close-minded that we aren't there willing to help our neighbor. Instead, if we draw near to God and he draws near to us, his words will become alive in our life and our actions will totally be changed in a good way that will lead us unto godliness. Romans chapter 2 Verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When I read that passage of scripture, what does that lead you to think of when it comes to God's will or even our thoughts? Do not conform any longer to this world or the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. To me, it seems like it keeps like a spiritual balance, like am I keeping my priorities straight in life when it comes to the scripture verse? Am I, like if you have a weigh machine, is my thoughts heavier towards the world and not as heavy on God? Or am I so consumed with God that, I'm avoiding anybody and everybody around me because I think I'm better and I've arrived. Hmm. Whenever I think of this scripture, especially the first, like the, just the first part, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. And in that, that is, we no longer need to, whenever we're in Christ, we no longer need to be concerned with the world. And because whenever we become followers of Christ, he has renewed us, and we are no longer who we used to be. We are a new mind, new body. And so we act the way Christ. We, we transform our lives to act the way Christ did on earth. And therefore, 
by being transformed in Christ and reading scripture and following it as wholeheartedly as we can, by this we will be able to figure out what God is really wanting us to do with our lives and do his will and have us do his will. And so following after Christ wholeheartedly, I think, trying our best and following Christ and not just saying we're trying our best, but putting all of our effort into being as Christ-like as possible. I mean, not living of the world, but being in the world. And God will reveal to you and through that his will for you on this earth to be fulfilled. We always say God has a plan for you, and we may ask God for what his plan for us is, and sometimes the answer isn't immediate, and maybe that's because we need to follow after Christ even more wholeheartedly and continue doing what we're doing until God reveals to you his will for us in the future. There's a quote that I posted on Instagram written by Archbishop William Temple, and he says, your religion is what you do in solitude. What I'm doing in solitude is where my religion lies. Is my relationship with Christ what I'm doing in my solitude in this time, or is that where I'm spending my time delving into the deep desires of worldliness that are still trying to control my heart, mind, soul, and strength, as a, which are directly opposed to the godly nature that is trying to take form inside of me. As Xavier said earlier, I am now a new creation in Christ, but am I allowing that new creation to also be consumed or reconsumed with the worldly side of things? I think of do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world in the regards of our history within the 20th and 21st century of the church. I think of the things that the church took a heavy-handed stand on as Christians that ended up being foolish moves in the long run. I remember having conversations with many people that were elder to me that said that sports, any sports activity, baseball, basketball, cricket, it didn't matter what the sport was, that should never be played by Christians because those were the doorway into the devil's playground, they would say. And yet now, how many Christian athletes do we have out there? How many people have come to faith in Christ as a result of the fact that they watched somebody who was a very good basketball player or baseball player or football player, they saw him on TV and all of a sudden they were like, wow, if that person's a Christian, I want to come to faith in Christ. Did our godliness saying that sports is a doorway to the playground of the devil's play, a doorway to the devil's playground. Is that what really needed to be said? Because the church at the time was trying to say, we're not supposed to be like the world. And instead of following through with the rest of the passage of scripture, which says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We said, I'm closing the door on that and I'm not going to test and approve it. I'm just going to say sports is the doorway to the devil's playground. Was that the right stand? I don't think it was. And I think we've got to call it out like it is. The, t the church used to take a heavy-handed stand against TV and movies. What about Disney World or Disney products, especially in the early 90s? What did the church say that they wanted to do against Disney? Boycott Disney. Boycott Disney because they are... Of the devil. Of the devil. And they are leading our children into the worldly ways of this world. And then now what does the church do? Now there's even our own organization has their largest council 
where they gather together right outside of Disney World and guess where everybody goes for their free time? Disney World. And so we sometimes make these decisions and knee-jerk reaction ways that in the long run make us look like fools. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. And that shows you that it's a conformity of the world and it's a conformity of man. Man wants to be in control. Man yes. wants to be dominant. And man wants to have, be man or woman, um, wants to have that power, so to say, that everyone reports to them. And if I can have that control and if I can be that person that people report to, then ha, 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 there's no need for God because I have risen and now I'm God. Right. Just like there was a big push in the early, early 1930s to abolish alcohol in the United States. And it was led by the church in the United States. And they said that this was an illegal substance. They took this huge stand against it, even to the point where they tried. There were some churches, not all, but some places they tried to even remove the words, Jesus turned water into wine. They tried to say that the wine was really just grape juice and it wasn't wine. They tried to say that when Paul says to have a little wine with your food in order to help your stomach, that that was not real wine. It's just juice that he was talking about. And they tried to do that so that that way they could control people. And so therefore, as a result, the thought process of Christians got crippled in the regards of, and am I saying that drinking a lot of alcohol is good? I am absolutely not saying that. But I am definitely making sure that we have an understanding that when the Bible says Jesus turned water into wine, he turned it into wine. We can't say it was grape juice all of a sudden. Oh, it was new wine. That means it was grape juice. And that's what Jesus was referring to. No, you can't change scripture. You can't change 2,000 years worth of history in the 20th century and say, no, he was talking about grape juice. The reality is, is that Jesus turned water into wine and Paul said, a little wine's good for your stomach at times. And then again, I'm coming from the home of a man who drank himself into a fit as my grandfather to the point where at 70 years old, he passed out in the garage, broke his hip, and my dad and I had to go and help him get out of that situation. And we had to help him dry out so that that way he would no longer consume such large amounts of alcohol that he was just this awful person within the community that hurt people including my grandmother, including my father, including my uncles, including myself. And instead, that is what alcohol led him to do. But that doesn't make me want to go and change the Bible saying, well, when Jesus turned water into wine, he was talking about grape juice. Go ahead, Mallory. Um, there's also, in the Bible, they also talk about drunk people. So did they remove drunk people out of it? No, they didn't because they were saying that this is what leads to debauchery and alcohol. All alcohol is definitely the devil's. What about in the story of whenever the father um, allows his youngest son to go out and he gives him money and mm -hmm. his youngest son spends it all and, on drinking and stuff mm -hmm. because he thought that's what he was supposed to do. And then whenever he comes back, he's very sorry and stuff. So did they like remove stuff like that out? No. In fact, they would try and say that that was the worldly ways. And so those are the, that son was horrible and we, we don't want to be like that son. And once you've come into Christ, you're never going to fall away from Christ ever again. But 
and since you're asking it in this regard, I'm just going to answer the question before I even ask it. But have I ever had doubts as a Christian that I'm following the right pathway? And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm going to say, of course, I have doubted my faith in Christ. If I say I've never doubted my faith in Christ, I would be a liar to you because there are times that I look at things and I say, wow, if this is the way a Christian is supposed to act or react, I don't want anything to do with that. But that's not the way I act. And so I have to go to God for his wisdom for my life and allow him to speak to me through his holy word and point out to me my faults and I've got to stop pointing my finger at everybody else and I've got to look at my life and my thoughts. Doing God's will and thinking like Jesus is becoming has to become our desire as Christians. When Jesus is working in us, we will become more like him. The bad news is that Satan and our natural human desires to sin will not give up without a fight, and they will continue to entice us in order to fall away from the Lord. First John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So a few more questions for us. Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And the question is, who is the follower of Christ to think and act like. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's work, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The question is, is who is the follower of Christ to think and act like? follower of Christ is to think and act like Christ Jesus. Hmm. We're to leave a sweet aroma wherever we go, not a an aroma of death, not a, an aroma of a vile smell. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 16. Blair's got that for us. While we're reading this, it is a lengthy passage of scripture, so Listen closely to how I am supposed to conduct myself and be transformed into a person of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, 
that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what are some ways that we are to conduct ourselves as Christians, as followers of Christ? The first thing I see is, is that Christ humbled himself to a lowly position. How often do I, myself, how often do you, yourself, try and elevate yourself above others? Whether that means putting somebody down with a rude remark, whether that means just flat out walking over somebody who's in pain and in hurt out in the middle of the street saying, they're just lazy, they need to do better for themselves. Offering my seat up, we talked about this last week, offering my seat up to somebody who is more wealthy than I am so that that way maybe they'll do a, a, a special favor for me later, but yet seeing somebody who's poorer than I am and stepping all over their face saying, you get down there on the ground, I don't care anything about you. How am I treating my fellow mankind? If Jesus would lower himself to the point of being born through a virgin and living 33 years of life on this earth, can I not humble myself? Is there anything else that you guys see? It's always easy to say that maybe my life is harder than someone else's and then write a book and then go on tour to convince people that my life is worse than theirs and have people buy into me and what I'm saying. And therefore, I'm so self-consumed that my life is worse than everybody else's. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a really easy trap to fall into, a conceitedness of... I'm more value than someone else. Um, looking onto interests, not only onto your own interests, but the interest of others. So if mm. you have the same interest as other people, it's always nice to encourage yeah. in those situations. Not like I'm, I'm better at this than you are, but you're all in it together. Looking at it that you're all in it together. I mean, and that can be through your school, that can be through life, that can be as a mother, that can be as a father, that can be as a, a single person, a non-single person. It, it touches all variables of life. Uh, I mean, people eat, they eat food, people like food. So that's an interest that a lot of us have. Mm -hmm. And so our foods may be different, but it's always nice to have conversations of what other people's interest in foods are. True. Um, and there's nothing wrong with learning about interest of other people because maybe we might be interested in that one day. I mean, YouTube is filled of that. <laughs> yeah. Verse 14 that Blair read, do all things without complaining and disputing. This one's a tough one for me. I, I've been serving Christ over 25 years. And it's still a tough one for me, but yet this is a way that we can actually show Christ's love for others is by doing all things without complaining or disputing. I mean, that, that humbles me in this moment right now of, okay, what part of my life do I need to change or what do I need to submit even more so to have a deeper relationship with God so that that way I, I will stop grumbling, complaining, and disputing especially as I think of the way the Israelites were in the Old Testament as they're wandering through the wilderness, one of their biggest sins was complaining and grumbling. And that was the whole reason that they weren't able to inherit the whole of the promised land was because of their grumbling and complaining. So what am I not inheriting because of my grumbling and complaining? I also like this as well. Um, 
verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, it's God's will to work in you. That is God's will. Uh, it's not a coming of a, I have to achieve this perfection in order for God to work for me. Like I have to have a clean house and a cleaned up mm. life and a clean marriage or a clean life of singlehood, um, perfect kids. Like I don't have to have all of that because then I'm not allowing God to work in my life. Hmm. It's God's will to work through my life. It's God's will to work in me through my marriage. It's God's work to work in, in me through singleness. It's God's work to work through me. It's his will to work through me as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a teacher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if I'm not allowing God that chance, then God's will is not working inside of me. Hmm. It's saying that I've become greater than God yet again. Hmm. And that's not God's perfect will. That is not God's will at all. And that's not his will. His will is to work in us and through us, through who we are, our everyday life. Yeah. There's no there's no way of cleaning up to to come before the Lord. He he wants us as we are. Come just as you are. Yeah. Is there anything else, Xavier? You got anything from this passage of scripture that stands out to you of how you're supposed to conduct as a transformed person? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Transformed. Yes. Uh, especially verses six through ten, and. That says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And in that, it makes me realize how we are to act as Christ has acted. Is God, Jesus came from this high position of being in control of all of the earth. And he came from his own form, his own perfect body that he already was. And he so willingly put his own body into that of a human hmm. he took on human form which is less than what his original form is in and of itself and then not only on top of that he also took the role of a servant which is on in our human culture is less than anything else basically and but jesus being God took on not took on all these forms of being lower than what he actually was, but that does not mean he was not as high in power and in truth and in everything he was. And so, in doing that, God gave him a name and put him above everything because Jesus sacrificed every bit of comfort and wellness. And he gave all that up for us, even to the point of death. And gods aren't supposed to die. Right. But Jesus even went to the point of death and then overcame death at the same time, showing his ultimate power. 
And in that, we should also be living, like I feel that in our relationship with Christ, that we should not be so worried about our, our power or our full influence or the ability to speak over this many multitudes of people and influence them and control their lives, but instead take on the role of a servant. And that's what Jesus did. And we like to focus on Jesus spoke to the 5,000, Jesus spoke to the 10,000, Jesus spoke to this many people. But at the same time, as he was speaking to these people, he wasn't doing it for the fame of all the people. In that, he was doing it to save the lost. Yeah. And so following after Christ, I feel like our attitudes should be to follow after him wholeheartedly in a way that is in servitude towards God and to serve after God wholeheartedly and be what to others in the world may look like as less than what is needed, but to God, we're so much more. Hmm. It doesn't matter what we look like. It matters how we fully uh, convey who Christ is through us. Hmm. And I'm not saying we should immediately go live on the streets and all that other stuff. But at the same time, living for Christ isn't comfort. Well, and I think the word that you're referring to here is meekness. To be meek uh, is what Christ was in yes. this passage of Scripture. Right. And in that definition has been hijacked in Oxford Dictionary or even in the, uh, the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary to slightly mean something more. But the reality of what meekness is is to have ultimate power and yet take the role of a servant. That is what a meek person does, mm -hmm. and that's who Jesus is. And he uh, he also calls on us to be meek. Well, also, and this is I see as the as well as in the servitude is Christ also suffered on the cross for death, and so in that whenever he calls us to be like the him, then we should be just as willing to go through as much pain mm. as Christ did for us. And not, oh, this disease doesn't exist. And, you know, if I follow Christ, I'll never be afflicted by any pain, any problems, any sin, nothing. Because Christ was afflicted by everything we're all afflicted by. But he didn't give in to it. And he's not asking any less of us. All right. Another passage of scripture along the lines of the way we think and the way we convey our thoughts found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness, with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so in as a new creation, 
question is, is as a new creation, how do I in Christ change? And I believe we change by putting off the old self and clinging to the new. Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We have just a few more. Three more, in fact. Mallory has for us Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Into the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is not pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. So in terms of today, whose minds and consciences are defiled in accordance with this passage of scripture we just read? It's all mankind. But specifically, it says that the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So in other words, can you be a mathematician in a university studying one of the theorems that has never fully been figured out? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and be a person who has purity in your life. Yes. Can you also be a co-worker of that same person who does things lewdly, grossly negligent, working on that same theorem as a professor in the same university, having the same amount of students, and everything is unpure to you? Yes. Yeah. We work around people who are pure and impure all the time, don't we? Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. Blair has that for us. The question that we're going to be asking ourselves is, what does God, by the Holy Spirit, want to put into our mind? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So what does God, by the Holy Spirit, want to put into our mind? That God is with us. No. Yes, his covenant. He has written it on our hearts. What not his covenant? I will put my... Thought? Love? Law. Law? Law. Yeah, he will put his law in our minds so that that way our thought process will be guardrailed by God's holy law. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, right? This is also found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. And the last question for us, found in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through 8, Blair has that again for us. As followers of Christ, what do I now set my mind on? Romans 8, 3 through 8. Things above, but not on things of the earth. Isn't that what this is? No, it's Colossians. (laughs) (laughs) I have an idea. I changed it up on you and fooled you. Probably the same thing. You are a fool. It's probably the same message. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What do we set our mind on? The spirit. On things above. <laughs> Basically the same exact thing. We definitely do on the spirit. The Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us and helps us, who is our helper, the one who came in the place of Jesus after he died on the cross and rose again. The Holy Spirit has been gifted to us in order to help us in our thought process. Not so that that way we will become robots mechanically giving answers and mechanically operating every single day as if we are exactly perfect and exactly like God and never make any mistakes and never say anything wrong and never have the wrong actions and never get sleepy and never get angry in a way that would lead us unto sin. But instead, the Holy Spirit helps us despite all of those mistakes that we make. And calls us into a life of repentance so that that way our thoughts and our thinking will be heavenly minded. And if we give up the heavenly mindedness and allow carnality or allow the things of this flat, this world to be our only thoughts, we'll get confused every time we wake up in the morning, not knowing whether what we believe in. So let us set our minds on Christ. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day, and that everyone will be safe and they all wear their masks all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.